You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. If you have your Bible, you can flip over to Revelation chapter 3. Uh, if you have your phone, um, tap that app and open it to um, Revelation chapter 3. We'll be using the NIV translation for the morning. Um, good morning. My name is Nick Barker. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, and it's, uh, it's just really good to um, be here this morning and open up God's word and see what um, he may have for, for us. Um, one, one of the things that I love about meeting here, like specifically here at, at ULC, is my, my wife and I, when we, when we drive here every single Sunday, we drive past campus. Um, both of us graduated from ASU. Um, it was a it was a beautiful thing, and so um, we we were in a college ministry together. Um, Danny lived like literally right there, like in those buildings, Vista del Sol, um, behind us. I remember when we were dating, I would pull up like where our cars are parked, and then go through um, that little walkway right there, and that's how I would get to. Um, Vista, and we'd play volleyball and, and all that fun stuff. And one of the cool things about driving through here is reminiscing almost like every single Sunday about like the glory days, being back in college, if you will. And, and one of the things that I remember about being back in college is uh, coming out of college, there were a ton of weddings because everyone in like the, the church we were part of was, was getting together getting married, um, and then moving on with their lives. But then also, what I remember is that there were a ton of breakups, right? So people were hooking up and breaking up. It was like all, all over. Uh, that, that's what happens when you're in college. And one of the things I was thinking about with the breakups, and this is how it would usually happen, right? Think about if you can, like, maybe, maybe you've experienced this, or if you've walked through friends that have experienced this. But traditionally, the person who does the breaking up, who initiates it, that person most, uh, most often moves on a lot quicker than the other person. Why? Why is that? And here's what I think was happening because I was, so walking with like these college students and these dudes who just had like their hearts shattered, here, here's what seems to happen. The person that was doing the breaking up had already started the process of disconnecting or, or, the, the, or breaking away from the relationship while they were still in the relationship, right? And so what you would have is they would, they would be like emotionally moving away, maybe spiritually, maybe it was like it just like their careers or their life wasn't lining up. And so one person would drift away. But while that was happening, you would have a period where that person wouldn't necessarily say anything 
but still go through the motions. They'd still hold hands, they'd still go on dates, they'd still talk, right? They'd still do all those things. But it would, it would often get to a point where the other person in the relationship would go, what on earth is going on? What on earth is going on? And then you have to have like the, the, the talk. I hope, I hope you all are tracking with me on this. Because if you're not, like we are off to a bad start. Uh, but so like that, that, that's what would happen. And so you'd have this period toward the tail end of the relationship where one person is essentially like on their way out, but they've been going through the motions, but the heart isn't in it. And the reason why I share this is that that's kind of the feel of the passage that we're talking through this morning and that we'll be in. But it's Jesus, Jesus coming to the church and saying, are you guys in this anymore? Are you still in this with me? So, so let's read and, and we'll try to make sense of what God may have for us this morning. Revelation chapter three, we're gonna be in the first six verses. We'll read it through once and then um, spend some time um, bouncing around in different places. Revelation chapter three, verse one. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know what time I will come. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of the person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The word of the Lord. And so we were spending time in Lent um, going through uh, these different letters uh, that are recorded in, in the book of Revelation. And these are, these are unique, they're, they're beautiful, they're powerful, and they're like, if we're honest, these words that we just read, they, they can be scary or like really, really hard. Um, Revelation is written by um, a man who followed Jesus. His, his name was John. Uh, and at this point in John's life, he's been exiled to this like Roman prison island called Patmos, which is off the west coast of Turkey. It's a small island, and it's where the, the Romans would send um, a lot of people, uh, essentially imprisoning them here for the rest of their lives. And, and people who were, were really just like problematic or a nuisance for um, Roman rule and authority. And so John finds himself 
on Patmos. And he receives a vision. It's a wild, crazy um, vision with all this imagery and all these different things that um, have taken, that we've really debated and talked about um, over the course of church history. What do they mean and all that good stuff? And uh, the, the vision in a nutshell is this, once you get to chapter four, is that he has a vision of the throne room of God, the heavenly throne room of God. And this throne room, it's beautiful and it's powerful, but then he sees a vision of worldly leaders who are corrupt, evil, broken, and who are anti the rule and reign of the one who sits on the throne. And you skip ahead very quickly, and that the story ends, or this vision ends actually, with this throne room of heaven coming down to earth after Christ has wiped away and sent away and fully defeated all the evil, the oppression, the injustice, um, Satan, sin, and death itself, and establish this beautiful throne on heaven, heaven on earth. Before that happens, Jesus has specific words for seven different churches that are on the west side of what was called Asia Minor, but is just modern-day Turkey. So seven churches in seven different cities, and John tells them or writes them these words. Now, the interesting thing about these words is they're not John's words to the church. What you'll see in your Bibles is these words are in red. They're the words of Christ. And for us, like that can be something that we just gloss over the significance of. But here's why, here, here's the significance of why Christ is speaking to these churches. For one, where is Jesus at this time? He's on his throne in heaven. He's already died, rose from the grave, and ascended. And now, as the gospel goes out, the, the news of Christ's death and resurrection, the, the inauguration, the good news of the inauguration of the kingdom of God, as it's gone out, gone out around the known world, these churches are most likely some of the first people to come to a faith in Christ only through hearing and not through seeing. Or even more, knowing someone without knowing someone who's seen the resurrected Lord. The first church is first believers. And even more with that, the, the church is a, just starting to feel a tremendous amount of persecution. They're about to die, and they're starting to really, really have it come in thick and heavy. And here's, what they're, here's the question that, that's lingering within the churches. Is this real? And if it is, is this worth it? And notice... Let's dive right into it. Notice how Jesus addresses them. Chapter one, to the angel of the church of Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So in other words, these are the words of Christ. So these people, they aren't receiving like a word from Paul, even though that's powerful, or Peter, or James, or any other of the early church leaders. They're receiving a direct word 
from Christ. So what does this this, this mean, the seven spirits and the seven stars? Um, To put very simply, um, seven is the number of like wholeness. And so seven spirits, um, very simply, and we, we don't have time to fully get into it, but it just means that like in Christ, the fullness of God dwells. The full spirit of God is there. And then the seven stars... The seven stars, um, he mentions it in Revelation 1. These are either angels or messengers that are in connection with each one of these churches. So there's seven churches that um, John addresses or Jesus addresses through John um, in Asia Minor. And each one of these stars represents um, a connecting point, if you will, from the throne room in heaven to the people on earth. Again, this is important because what, what's being illuminated here is Christ is with us. Christ is working. Christ is here. And it's beautiful and that's powerful. But then Jesus doesn't, he doesn't like pull any punches and he gets right to it. So let's hear, hear primarily what the issue is that's being addressed within the church in Sardis. Halfway point of verse one. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You guys catch that? You have a reputation of being alive. So externally, when you operate and function within your city, people will look at you and you have a great reputation, a great rapport. You are seen and celebrated. But internally, there's actually not much going on or you are dead. And so like, here's the, here, here are the two questions right away, like for them, like one, what are the good deeds that they have a great reputation for? And then the second one, is what are they lacking? What specifically are they lacking that makes them dead internally? And what does that mean by being dead? Is it like when they meet privately or in their midst? Or is it like a more like a emotional, privatized, spiritual life? Like what, what is it? And, and here's the answer to both of those questions. We don't know. Because the, the text doesn't say, and it doesn't give it to us here. We don't know exactly what's going on. But here's what we know. They have a reputation that is of good rapport, of great rapport within their city. But Christ has looked straight past that and said, what's really going on is super problematic. Um, three ideas or three observations from three scholars on what might be going on within this church. One from George Ladd, he says this, the church is not troubled by persecution just yet. It is not disturbed by heresy. It was not distressed by Jewish opposition. It was well known for an active, vigorous Christian service and congregation characterized by good works and charitable activities. But in the sight of God, all of those religious activities were a failure because 
they were only formal and external and not infused with the life-giving Spirit of God. Sam Storms offers this as an idea. This may be the first documented case of nominal Christianity within the church. And then N.T. writes, so my favorite observation, and he's saying this um, in, in reflection of verse 4, when the suggestion of verse 4 says that some people within the church have yet to soil their clothes. And, and he says this, he says their, their clothes are soiled, like the, it's a uh, symbolism of this, that their spiritual deadness may be a result of spiritual laziness. That they're like, it's in comparison to like their clothes just getting dirty. What do you do when your clothes get dirty? You wash it, right? And he's saying they're spiritually lazy. So let's recap. Here's what we know the church has a great reputation. Number one, they have a great reputation. But then number two, number two, they are not flourishing within their faith. Something internally is not quite there. It's dead. But then a third thing with this is it might be implied that because they have such a great reputation, and they have all these external acts and all these things to hang their hat on. It could be, as I read this, that that is what keeps them from actually growing and flourishing and what's lacking. You know, one of the interesting things about this city, Sardis, is one of their, one of their big historical, like cultural, societal ideas identity building events that happened. What well, was a story of warning within their city. Uh, about 600 years before this letter gets to them, um, they, they, they essentially got caught sleeping. Now Sardis was built, uh, it's a city that is a little bit higher in elevation and it's protected um, geographically by mountains. But then even more than that, they had this massive outer wall around the city. And it was, it was considered an unconquerable city. And different clans or tribes or even like massive powers over the course of the city's history would attempt to come and overthrow the city and take siege of the city. And they were like, they failed. They couldn't just like, they couldn't get past the city walls. And so you had this big external barrier that was the pride of the city. It was the joy of the city. And what ended up happening is after generation after generation after generation, they would look at the protection that they had, the external pr protection, and it would allow them to ease back and have a sense of comfort and like not concerned at all from anything that would come in and attack. And then around like 550 BC, the Persians come in and catch them sleeping, take over the city, 
overthrow them. And, and so the, the story that was told, passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation, is to be alert. Don't just, don't just take for granted the protection we have. Don't just take for granted what we've done in the past, but we have to be alert in every moment. I wonder, I wonder if that's what's at play here when Jesus is talking to these people. Now, we're going to do something that might seem a bit uncomfortable. We're going to turn to, you're going to, turn to um, your neighbors, okay? Uh, and, and here's the question. You ready? What is the good reputation? What is the good reputation of this community within our city? Okay, now like look at a lot of our diet, like just, just brag about us. And if you haven't, if you haven't been around, like lean in and actually hear some of the good stuff. And we're, we're not like, we're not gonna, I'm not gonna twist it or whatever. Like we're gonna celebrate that stuff. Okay, but then we're gonna quickly move on. And you guys probably know the direction we're gonna move in. But I want us to celebrate. I want us to celebrate first and foremost, what is good that God has used us for within this city? What is the, what is the rapport the reputation of MDC. Okay, turn to a few people next to you and go. Break. Okay, I know that's not enough time, but let, let, let's bring it back in. Um, I, would, I would love to hear from, from some of y'all if you just want to shout out um, what... What, what's our reputation within the city? What do you see? Like, and this is kind of a weird, this is a bit of a weird exercise, but I'd love to just hear some, some ideas. Oh, so, oh, hold on, sorry. Ryan, pause. Uh, she said, Sarah said that her job knows who we are. Like her, yep, her, her vocation, it's like they, they know Missio Dei communities, which is pretty cool. So it's not like other, just other churches, but her, her job, that's awesome. Ryan. We, on an annual basis, we, we host something called Soma School, where we have pastors from all over the world or church leaders from all over the world that come and stay with us for a week and look at how great we do church, but then also heap praise on us. And it feels good, right? Feels really good. Um, we're known for being a great community that loves one another, that cares for one another. Uh, we receive praise from not just city officials in Scottsdale and Tempe, but then also local pastors, right? Look at how you guys do church. You're really the ones doing it. You're the salt of the earth. You guys are doing the hard stuff within the city. And all those things, like I just want to affirm, like God is using us in profound ways. But the warning for us this morning is that the work that God has done through us wouldn't, wouldn't be the reason that would keep God from continually working within us. 
I, I know many of us, what, what happens, many of our stories is like when we come to Christ, um, when, when you start being a disciple of Jesus, there's usually one glaring like element of your life that becomes transformed and changed, whether it was right away or it's a process, but your discipleship is usually latched on to whatever it is for you. And that's where you start seeing transformation and change. And, and but what ends up happening also is if we're not careful, there's parts of us individually, but then also collectively that goes completely untouched. And, and I think that that's the idea here when Jesus is saying, there's things that you know or know, you're known for that you do so well but there's elements of you that are completely dead. And so I wonder what that is for us. And what, but I, by me saying I wonder what it is for us is I, I, don't, I don't feel like there's enough space this morning um, for me to just like very simply pinpoint a few things. But, but I, wanna, I wanna paint a vision or present a few things of what like a, a flourishing or elements of a flourishing community may look like or flourishing households may look like. And, and as I share each one of these different dynamics, I wonder for you if there's one where you, you go, man, I like that just does not reflect who I am or how I've been walking with Jesus, right? So, so here's a few. A deep, personal, spiritual life that leads to knowing God personally and loving Him intimately. Marriages that glorify Christ through self-giving, pouring out to each other and being a covenant bond that the Spirit of God uses to strengthen the church, the neighborhood, and everyone that comes into your path. Households that cherish Christ, experience Him, and foster grace, that become a city on a hill, within their neighborhoods. Children that flourish and grow into who God has created them to be and are filled with awe and wonder as they learn and explore God's world. Employees who work diligently for the Lord within their secular vocations, striving to encounter the idolatries of their industry with the gospel, but also working with diligence and conviction as an ambassador of Christ and his kingdom. Storting our finances with discipline and joy to fund the Missio Dei, and provide for our families and beyond instead of buying into the consumer lies of our time. And then finally, enjoying God's presence 
in the present, in the flesh, over opting for a digitized, augmented experience. Which one of these like hits home to you in the sense, in the sense of it's like, man, I don't feel like any of that is reflected within my life or within my family. You know, the difficult thing is the words Jesus provides for those who are in this church, who have external great deeds but are just deeply lacking in one glaring area. He says this in verse 3. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what time I will come to you. You're like, okay, that, that, like, that's a hard word, and that actually doesn't sound like the Jesus I know. And, and I, want to, I want to provide what I think he's saying here. I don't think he's talking about the second coming or, or his coming at the end. And I don't think this is necessarily that hard of a word. I think this is covered in grace and love. In the sense of Jesus is looking at this church and saying, you are just going off of external deeds or functions, or you're just going off of your reputation, but there's no internal growth. There's no flourishing. There's no life inside. And I'm not going to allow you to function that way. Is tracking with that? That God will not just let us get on going off of our reputation while being dead inside or not continuing to grow in the gospel or being sanctified by the spirit. He won't let you do that. So there's grace there. And so what do we do? What do we do? Three things. Number one, we go to verse two. Wake up. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. What does that mean? Be brutally honest with yourself about where you are, where you are like this close to being spiritually dead. Or like wake up to like what part of you is in the ER and on spiritual life support. Right? And so we're going to talk about deconstruction and all that in a couple weeks for um, Friday formation. But like, here's, here's what I think happens so often. What happens so often is we completely neglect or block out allowing Christ to work in specific elements of our lives where we are, we're walled off, we're closed up. Okay? And we do that, and then at the same time, we will ask God why we don't feel him or sense him or see him moving at all while we're putting walls up and keeping him out. Would we be honest with ourselves and wake up to not just, not just the barriers we're putting up, but what we're blocking Christ from working on? And, and like at this point, so I'm look, looking at y'all, like at this point within our lives, Whatever that is, it's probably going to be something that's painful or probably is going to be something where you personally don't want to go there. But we have to trust. We have to trust 
the, the compassion, the gentleness, and the kindness of Christ. If, if we are going to allow the power of Christ to enter in and change and heal. And would we wake up and just have an honest look in the mirror? You know, one of the things I, I pray for, for myself and, and for us as a church often is that we would just be a people who are honest with ourselves so that we could be honest with God. Number one, would we wake up? Number two, in verse three, remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold fast to it and repent. So as we wake up, would, would we um, first and foremost look, look to Christ and remember, remember the gospel. Remember the story that you and I live in, that you and I um, were once dead, but have been made alive. You and I were once enemies, but are now friends. You and I were once um, outside, outside of um, the kingdom of God, but now we are heirs to the kingdom, okay? We were once hopeless, and now we're ambassadors of Jesus. And this is all through the work of the cross and the resurrection, that you are dead to sin through Christ absorbing that on the cross, and life has now begun through the resurrecting power of Jesus. And the spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now the spirit that dwells within you and I today and is still at work today. And the same Christ that rose from the grave and sits on the throne in the same way he has this connection to these ancient churches in Sardis and Laodicea and Philadelphia and all these different places he writes to, he still has the same connection to us today. And in the same way, he talks about having like a messenger or a star for each of these churches. I'm going to take some license here. Charlie will correct me or rebuke me after. I feel like that's the case for us, right? We're like, hey, Missio Dei. For those of us who have like really had a stretch of holding on and trying to be faithful to Christ with maybe not feeling it or experiencing it or going through a lot of crap over the last couple of years, would we understand that the God that we read about is the God that is working directly in our midst today. And if we can't come to a place of believing that and trusting in that, like, man, how on earth are we going to open up and allow Christ to transform us individually as families and then like as a church? So man, what do we remember that this is a story that we are a part of? And this is, this is a crazy story. This is insane. It's foolishness to the Greeks. It's absolutely foolishness to those who have a rational thinking, right? And it's like, I was sitting, um, so we were, Danny and I were talking with um, some people that we um, kind of knew, but were just meeting um, almost for the first time last night. And the dude is like, yeah, I'm not really religious. Um, he's like, and the reason why is I just, I keep asking why questions. And um, I ask why, 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 why? He looks at me and goes, why do you believe? I said, you know, I, 
when I read the Bible. I see a God who has every reason to disengage from the human story and the human experience, but takes every single opportunity and initiates throughout all of history, coming in and placing himself in the midst of us. And in the midst of the brokenness and the mess and even taking it on himself. And I can't explain it with all your whys and all your rationale, but when I read scripture, that story comes alive and provides color to everything around me. Man, my prayer is that like, you and I would remember this story and this good news. The final thing. Final thing is this, verse four. Jesus says, there are a few in your midst who have not soiled their clothes and they will walk with me. I wonder, I wonder if you have been able to maybe identify over the last few minutes an area within your spiritual formation that is just completely lacking. I wonder if you've been able to do that. Actually, let me, let me be honest, okay? I like, that, that's what I'm trying to get you to a point of this morning, right? So we're trying to get you to. But I wonder if you can do something else. I wonder if you can think of someone within our congregation, within our church family, that you look at and go, man, they have this figured out. Right? Like if you are, if you just feel like your finances, like I'll use a super practical one. If you feel like your finances are a mess, is there someone here that you look to and go, man, they display the gospel through generosity and joy and stewardship. And what they are mature and strong in, I'm completely lacking. Or if you are just someone who has not been able to cultivate spiritual disciplines of being in God's word, of praying, of um, being being in um, a contemplative um, time with Christ, of Sabbathing, right? But there's someone who is like the rock star at it here. I wonder if you could identify that person, right? Or maybe there's someone who, like you've seen, um, life-giving, substantial kingdom work manifest itself through their faithful presence on their street. And their house is a house of hospitality for all their neighbors, right? And you're just trying to like get things up and running and just trying to like learn your neighbor's name. I wonder if you can identify those, those people. And here's the ask, here's the ask. Would you today shoot them a message and ask them to get them a cup of coffee, right? And just sit with them and say, tell me about money. 
tell me about hospitality. Tell me about how you read the Bible. Tell me about how you love your wife. Tell me about how you are intentional with raising your kids. And, and would we start, like, would we start remembering the gospel, but then also, also start building each other up in the places where we're weak, right? Because usually the places of weak, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, usually those are places where we put our walls up. And if we're honest, those are points of shame and guilt, right? Especially when we show up here, you know? You know it's funny. I wonder how many people drive here each morning with a, getting into a fight, okay, with their spouse, and then you put on a smile, you know? Not this morning. This was a great morning. This was a great drive. Okay, um, but man, so look at would we would we wake up and just be honest with ourselves? Would we remember the gospel and then would we lean on those who have walked faithfully in Christ in the ways that we haven't? The table is empty. So Kenny, you can come back up. We're going to sing one more song, and here. Here's the lines for, for the song. As the table's empty, I hope what, what an, the empty table does is it creates in us a deeper longing for Christ. And I'd actually put that out in front of you. What, when, we sh when, we, when you figured out that there was no communion throughout Lent, what was your initial response? Was it, oh, I really, really need this. If, that, if that's a response, which I hope it was, would, that, would you allow yourself to continue to grow into that longing and that dependence of Christ? Or if your response was, no big deal, would you pray? Would you pray that God would give you a desire, a deeper desire for who he is? And so we're gonna sing one more song. And what, one of the lines of this song is, um, Make me an offering, make me a vessel, and I'm, I'm butchering it, but make me whatever you want me to be. And would that be like a, your prayer of confession this morning? God, what is broken within me? What am I lacking? And would I offer myself to you in this element of who I am? It's maybe, maybe protected by walls, maybe clouded with guilt, but man, would I give this to you and allow you to continue to work in me in ways that I've seen before, but, but I'm asking you to work in ways that are new and maybe scary, but I trust you. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we humbly come to you, and my prayer is that uh, my brothers and sisters and myself would remember your grace and your gospel. We would remember and we would wake up. But we wouldn't try to wake up on our own, but in the same way that you called Lazarus to wake up, we're asking you to do the same for us. In a way that um, you raised a man from, from the dead, we're asking that you do that within us.